welcome to uh, Social Life of Energy. We have a wonderful podcast reserved for you uh, today. I have two guests actually to talk to me about kind of all the questions that have come up in the previous um, editions uh, of the series on social innovation in uh, sustainable energy. I have with me Emma Vollmer, who is an assistant professor at the University of Groningen in uh, Leeuwarden, um, the campus Leeuwarden, and Ben Schmidt, or Benedict Schmidt, if you look him up to find his book, uh, who is currently a postdoc at the University of Freiburg, um, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, and I guess the main thing that we will talk about today is... Uh, the relationship between um, kind of the local, usually local place-based um, social entrepreneurship uh, initiatives and the possibility of um, systemic change, especially in the energy transition. But I, these questions are not uh, exclusive to the energy transition. Um, so Emma and Ben, uh, thanks for, for being here. Uh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> thanks Thank you, Martin. So the uh, organizing question for all of this is um, if transformation were to happen, if an energy transition towards a sustainable social uh, just uh, system would occur, then how would that happen? Like how would transition, transformation be possible? And I'd like to start with uh, Ben's research, um, who has done, uh, who has surveyed a number of different uh, um, initiatives in Stuttgart uh, a while ago for his PSC research of people trying to do things a little bit differently. Um, yeah, give us an example of one of these uh, initiatives and the kinds of problems that they ran into. Yeah, thanks a lot, Martin. I very much like the way you, you put this question of when a transition, if it were to happen, how would that look like? And I think um, maybe just to give a little bit of, of context of that research. So the um, I, I did look at 24 different um, initiatives, community-based initiatives. So they were all the way from, let's say, classic, more classical uh, social entrepreneurial type of organizations to all the way just like a group of people getting together and, and doing something and being very loosely organized too. And one of the, the examples, and I think it is probably somewhere in between, it wasn't really um, uh, an, an entrepreneurial type of initiative, but it was uh, a group of people getting together and doing something very differently, I would say, is uh, is off-the-grid housing. I think that's probably the case that's closely related with the top with the topic here of energy. And so they, what they did was they built off-the-grid house. Um, you would probably say tiny house. I think was like 36 square meters. Um, the 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 living area or the the whole um, area of the house. And what they did is they developed off-the-grid systems and energy-wise. So they had solar panels on the roof and uh, batteries for storage. But they also had a closed loop in terms of water supply. So they had a water treatment, kind of a small water treatment plant, and they collected rainwater, stored that, treated it, and then when they used it, it could be treated again. And also what they did was to close nutrient cycles. So they had an aquaponics system and they did a lot of like had a garden outside and a compostable toilet and all that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting to see that. But of course, they ran into a number of issues, and some of these issues actually um, didn't really, most of these issues didn't revolve as much around the energy supply, but more about the water supply. Um, but maybe you can still draw lessons from that. 
um, for example, they, they had difficulties getting the whole water treatment officially accepted by the local institutions because by law they would need to connect to the local uh, sewage uh, treatment system, but also um, the, the laws were very unspecific about how that need to play out, but also about the whole water treatment and what uh, kind of water could be treated and what it could be used for. So there were a lot of gray areas um, that were, I would say, also not handled well from the from the locals because they, it wasn't always clear what the, what the legal situation was. It was also because they did do a lot of things differently. So there were, weren't always clear laws um, stating you can do that in, in that way. Um, so what I found interesting about that particular case is that you could see that there is not a, always a strict one-to-one -one match of this, something is done being done wrong or something is being done right, but there's a lot of gray area and, and maybe room for maneuver by also local uh, actors from, let's say, local politics or local administration. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, how did the uh, the group of people who were trying to build these tiny houses, how did they try to maneuver within that kind of gray space? So they did, um, what, what they actually did do is from an early point on, and I'm not sure in how far that um, was, was uh, then kind of causing the whole problem, they connected to local politicians, local administrations. So they were very open about what they were planning to do and they were in close contact. And um, of course, um, when I say local administration, this is really um, too much generalizing. There were people who were very for this project, very interested in it, and there were others who weren't uh, as interested. And also, we talk about uh, different levels of administration. So within the like the, the the village where this was based, they were received very well. But when you then look at the the next like the next biggest town, which also had um, administrative duties there. Um, they, they weren't as well received, so you can see that it also is not a homogeneous space, but it plays out very differently. But they were actually paying a lot of money to get all kinds of um, certificates, especially what concerning the water quality. Um, and this is really an expensive, and, and, and you have to remember, there's just a group of people getting together and building this house. So um, they, they face a lot of obstacles, especially financial obstacles or the administrative obstacles turned into financial obstacles, to put it that way, um, right. that they were difficult to, to come up with. But they did um, also collect money also from a larger community that were, let's say, following this case very closely. So you can see that although there are a lot of obstacles, the, the community itself, as if you think about it as a, as a broad collective, um, managed in a lot of ways to at least um, answer to, to some extend to these issues. So it's an interesting dynamic also what the community and, uh, can do um, if the if the motivation is there. Yeah, interesting. Um, so what I'm kind of hearing is that on the part of the initiative, um, they, there were various strategies um, to make their thing possible. Whereas on the side of the municipality, uh, one of the the, so there's two problems that you kind of illustrate. One is that the fact that there are overlapping uh, jurisdictions, and that makes this uh, challenge quite complex. And the other side, there is kind of a hesitancy by the, on the side of the municipality to use the gray space um, in favor of the diverging <laughs> initiative, let's say. Uh, yeah, that's a very good way to put it, yeah. 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 
Okay, so uh, let's keep that in mind um, and let's uh, compare this to a recent project that Emma has tracked, uh, which is an energy project um, relating to, I believe, a uh, charging station uh, run by uh, also a, an initiative. Uh, Emma, would you like to say a little bit about their trajectory? Yes, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Martin. And thanks, Ben, for that. Uh, interesting example. And I think this uh, case that, that is uh, part of a research project that I'm engaged in, uh, social entrepreneurship on the grid edge, it's called. We looked at a uh, an EV charging uh, area. This is based in, in Kulemborg uh, in the Netherlands. And what this is a two-phase uh, project. So this, the, the, the community uh, started with the development of a solar roof, which was placed on an, on an empty lot in the neighborhood and the, the second project linked to that is the installment of an electrical vehicle uh, charging uh, area and i think one one super interesting thing is that the first phase of the project ran quite smoothly uh, it was even the case that the municipality uh, allocated some funds uh, to the local community to start their own energy cooperative so they actually wanted they initiated some of this this early early development the second phase where it, it came to the, to the EV charging uh, area was slightly more complicated, also because the technology involved was a bit more complicated and, and the licensing, etc. That was uh, was a bit more, uh, or a few more hurdles. And uh, one of the things that, that the, the people involved uh, told us was that uh, they had to deal with many different silos within the administration. So they were sent to a spatial planning and uh, and legal department. They were sent to all different types of departments that, that could have something to say about this project. And it wasn't until the national government sort of interfered, not specifically to this case, but uh, there was this project about uh, a Proeftuin Slimme Laadpleine, which was a national subsidy that was designed to to stimulate the development of these smart charging stations uh, across the Netherlands. And when that was initiated from the national government, the local municipality became more willing to actually support uh, this local group. So they, what they did actually was to appoint a project manager on the municipal level to help these type of local groups to develop their their initiatives, so that made a huge change, of course, because then there was suddenly somebody at the municipal municipal level who was helping this community energy uh, project to 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 implement their ideas. Uh, so I think that also shows you that there is somehow a very interesting uh, dynamic uh, and uh, interaction going on between actions taken on a local level and on different municipal regional and national level and it's it's and i think that's um martin you were earlier before you started recording talking about complexity and complex systems and how sometimes things need to come together to create this window of opportunity that people then as i'm using a metaphor sort of jump into to to make this really happen these type of projects and uh, uh that i think that links a bit to what what ben was also saying that uh, you need to be able to to play that that complexity to your advantage a bit i think uh, it's interesting indeed that you have the, the solar roof which in a sense is already a kind of domesticated technology like we've been with we've had these things for a while and there are laws in place that allow people to to place these on their homes or on other uh rooftop surfaces for example um 
And so that can then go relatively smoothly, but then you get to this newer technology that hasn't been in place and it hasn't doesn't have the institutional frameworks where it um, set up. Then it becomes this innovation trajectory where people have to kind of cobble together <laughs> um, the, the different elements to put um, into place. So if you... If you look at the the way that the uh, initiative kind of related to these initial complexity, like they you mentioned that they needed to go to these uh, different um, uh, silos in the in the administration, how how did they handle that? Like, were they effective in, in doing so, or did it really require this new manager to kind of move the project forward? It's uh, an interesting question, and I think there also you see a separation. I think, but within the this community group. Uh, if you if you think about community entrepreneurship, so in or using a different word, collective entrepreneurship, because in the end it's a collective that tries to uh, uh, put resources together to to achieve some sort of outcome. Uh, so speaking of collective entrepreneurship, what what this particular group did was they appointed a project manager who uh, was far more experienced in dealing with bureaucracy and uh, paperwork and, and all these uh, institutional demands that need to, needed to be fulfilled. Um, and so they appointed this person and who on their behalf accomplished a lot of this meeting the institutional demands for them, uh, which I think was quite interesting that they separated out roles uh, within within their group, looking really at the expertise of, of who was involved and in, in assigning tasks. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, one question that often comes up with looking at community or collective entrepreneurship is who's the entrepreneur who's who's doing what and to what extent is the community as a whole truly involved or is it only a couple of agents that really pursue a, a, a particular project i like to um, latch on a little bit to this this idea of complexity one of the question is whether um, these local initiatives that are usually, um, you know, run in people's free times, they're amateurs in, in, in a certain sense, driven by motivation, uh, not necessarily professional sort of um, habitat. If they're the right actors, let's say, to drive change in, in the system. Uh, this is uh, kind of an interesting question also for energy. Uh, recently, the European Union has re uh, renewed some of their uh, directives related to um, uh, electricity and energy and kind of reserved a special role for energy communities um, with the idea that if we place part of the ownership of the energy system in the hands of communities, then maybe we also allow this transition to happen faster. But then they run, run into all these kinds of troubles, like the ones that you just mentioned, Emma. Maybe you can say a little bit more about this this tension of the relationship between uh, local initiatives and collective entrepreneurs and the system, if, if you will. So in this research project, we, we look at these community energy initiatives, but we at the same time also try to speak to as many uh, stakeholders on different levels as we can. Uh, so try to reach people on the municipal level that have been involved or the regional level. And uh, so for this particular case, we also interviewed uh, some people that are part of regional organizations that are in charge of rolling out some of the infrastructure related to, to electric charging, so charging of electric vehicles. 
And when they talk about community energy energy initiatives, and, and not particularly this case, but more more in general, they sound a bit dismissive. And I don't think that they mean to be. Like they don't. I don't think that they are truly negative towards these initiatives. But they simply say, if you look at the facts, what these smaller companies or community energy uh, organizations lack is scale, right? Scaling is, is incredibly hard for these smaller uh, organizations. And often they don't even want to scale. They want to do something for their own community, for their own neighborhood, and, and that's what they want to achieve. But the people on the higher uh, levels rolling out this infrastructure argue, we don't really need small scale project we need we need scale we need in, in order to achieve the energy transition we need to roll out this infrastructure efficiently uh on, on the national level and uh, bigger organizations are far better placed to to actually do all of this uh, compared to these uh, smaller organizations one reason and there uh, there are more but one reason that, that stood out to me was that the technological development is happening so fast in this field, uh, speaking of electric vehicles, technology is developing so fast that these smaller organizations, they, they simply can't keep up. Because Martin, like you said, a lot of these people, they do this on the site uh, and they don't have the uh, they don't have the, the necessary information to, to uh, keep up with development and to implement the, the newest technology uh, uh, locally, so to say. Yeah, so let's uh, let's try to unpack that that sort of um, um, argument. So the um, this argument has, let's say, um, valid sort of uh, motivations, but there are also other things that we can say about this. Uh, let's, let's dwell a little bit on what's being said. Is one argument is scale is essential for this transformation to happen. Like we need to decarbonize the like the the mobility system. Uh, charging stations are a part of that. Um, if we want to do this quickly. And perhaps if we want to do this economically, uh, we need to do it at scale. Um, and there is certain, uh, the fact that we now have very cheap solar panels, for example, is due to the fact that it's become this thing that is produced at enormous mass scales. Um, so there's the economy of scale as well. And then there's the argument of expertise and um, the, the amount of know-how that it takes and also time that it takes to actually you know, work successfully in this fast moving sector. Um, so um, what will be the counter arguments? Maybe Ben, you'd like to, to say something about that? Um, yeah, I think first of all, I'm, as, as um, Emma and I have both uh, have background in geography, I think um, the word scale itself maybe is sometimes used in a, in a way that's a little bit uneasy for us geographers. So, I mean, we can imagine scale as, as, as levels or just like the sheer, like scaling up the sheer amount of, of something that is there. But we can also maybe have different imaginaries of scale when we, for example, see that communities are doing a lot of similar things in a lot of different places. That's also a form of scaling when we see um, a kind of congruence between different um, and they didn't. They don't even necessarily have to be connected or networked, but uh, similar things are happening in so many different places. And I think that's also something we shouldn't overlook. Although, of course, the single instance or initiative is maybe not as conspicuous and big. They are very ubiquitous and and, and they happen in a lot of of different places. So I think that's um, definitely something we have to also look out for when we when we look at energy transition. So that that would definitely be one argument. Um, and I think another to be made is to when we when we consider the argument that we need large scale developers, 
uh, maybe that would um, fasten some kind of transition in a in, in one respect. Maybe it would be the latest technology. Maybe it would be more professional in a way that they can pay uh, people to deal with the legal frameworks better than community and voluntary groups can do that. But we shouldn't overlook all the other values that are created within these community types of um, of organizations and initiatives there are a lot of social values there's social uh, community building there is of course a, a kind of also governance issues that communities may build and own to to a certain extent their own um, energy and, and other basic needs um, could also be water or whatever uh, uh, grids so maybe um, if we if we look at it purely from an efficiency point of view, maybe we, there's an argument to be made for the large-scale developers. But I think uh, we should also look at the ownership models and the community building and social cohesion that comes with it. And I think there's really a big argument to be made to maybe um, to find some ways to support these communities. And, and this could be done, of course, by communities themselves through networking. I think there's a lot of social learning going on between initiatives, but it could also be to kind of create maybe what we could call supportive or transformative infrastructures. So there could be support, institutional support, how community initiatives can deal with the administrative apparatus. I mean, this is, as I said, there are so many different examples that each community initiative is not, especially in the energy sector, is not the first one to face all these issues. So um, there could be a lot of, there could be a lot done to, to, inf to, to kind of facilitate some mutual learning and some kind of create some institutional support that then in turn would, uh, of course, make these community if, uh, initiatives also more efficient in a, in a very traditional sense of the word. So that's one point there is, uh, this is, these initiatives are happening all over the place and they might have some systemic effect there, similar to a large rollout of whatever by some central actor. Uh, there are the other values and I think that we, we should talk about that in a little bit as well, uh, not just financial values, but also social, ecological, um, community cohesion. Um, and the fact that we have a system that is not geared towards uh, community initiatives, but if we do build one, then it may turn out that these um, initiatives may look very inefficient, may look slow, let's say, at this moment, but they might actually be a lot faster if we kind of accommodate them more. Emma, do you want to add anything to this? Um, well, I just wanted to um, to latch on what you were saying about uh, how and what, what Ben also said about these many different initiatives together amounting to uh, to change, uh, social change, institutional change. And I think that's also the entrepreneurship part of it, right? So for every successful enterprise that you see, there have been uh, X number of failed enterprises going going before it. So, and I think that one of the arguments linking to what Ben was saying about why these community energy initiatives are so valuable is that if you equip these groups uh, of people with information, with know-how, with uh, self-efficacy, so the sense that they can accomplish things, this empowers people on, on, a, on a local level, right? And empowering people also gives them a sense of being able to create change, whether that's a small change or a big change. But if we have many, many, many change makers, 
connected on these local levels, I think that that together in a cumulative sense uh, will definitely help us forward. And I think that's that's an image that we can that's appealing to or that speaks at least to 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 um, to many of us is that sense of an informed citizen who feels capable and uh, equipped to to actually make a change to make a difference. Uh, and I think leaving everything to to the, the bigger players, so to say, uh, to roll out the energy transition uh, more efficiently, passes over that idea of a, of an informed, engaged citizen. So I think there's there's value in that, a tremendous value. Can I, can I quickly add on to that? Because I, I think the word connection here is, is very key. Um, is that there was one startup or initiative that focused on building repairable, long-lasting lights. And they cooperated with the housing, with the um, with the tiny house exam that I mentioned at the beginning, and they did so um, because they were so um, kind of drawn into each other's into each other project in terms of they were so interested in it that they uh, collaborated in a way without any kind of um, trading out or like financial back and forth. And I think this is something that it is very small, it's very particular, but it can be inspiring. And I think that's that's important. We look at these connections that there are a lot of people out there who are intrinsically motivated to do things differently. And if they if they are given the space, and of course it is always it always um, earlier or later it comes back to them that they have to be stable in financial terms somehow. But if they are being created, if they are being provided that space to do things differently, they will. And they will find different ways of, of doing so. And I think that that can be very inspiring. So the examples might not be impactful in a, in a material sense, but they can definitely be impactful in an inspirational and also maybe in a, in a social sense. Okay. Yeah, nice. You mentioned already the, um, the need to at least uh, secure the, the financial bottom line. I'd like to talk about that to kind of close off this discussion. Maybe just one more um, um, comment about the idea of efficiency, mostly because of this idea of wanting to go fast or wanting to go big. Like uh, both of these are not, don't go very well um, with um, people's sense of ownership over their own kind of environment and, and, and space. And a couple of uh, editions back, I talked to uh, Helena uh, Solman about uh, co-production, the idea of co-production, of allowing people to actually sort of make, in a sense, the wind turbines or other uh, energy technologies together with the, the companies. And one of the things that, uh, that she found is that maybe people will actually be very willing to have smaller wind turbines in their uh, proverbial backyard. And maybe we should accept that. Maybe these are not going to be as these smaller wind turbines are not going to be as 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 uh, efficient in the the amount of power that they generate. But if they are acceptable to people, if people are willing to sort of embrace them, then that uh, might be uh, something that is worth considering, especially because these things will work in this local setting um, rather than be a part of this sort of global, the national energy grid, for example. And if we don't do that, then we just generate opposition and we slow down this supposedly um, efficient process. Uh, to round off kind of this, uh, this idea of scale, uh, professionalization, uh, efficiency uh, versus the, uh, the idea of going local as a way of going... Uh, Global, um, let's talk about this last point, um, namely 
multiple value creation. Uh, one characteristic of social entrepreneurship is that it doesn't only pursue financial returns, but that it really explicitly tries to uh, to realize other values as well, uh, whether it be social values or in this case, often also environmental values. And Emma, I believe that you have um, sort of something to say about from your research, both in energy and, be and before, about how difficult it is to juggle these um, these different kinds of values. Thanks, Martin. Um, yeah, so 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 one of the things that uh, we have been discussing is also how a lot of changes and, and innovations and um, new technologies in this field of energy are are not simply that, right? They're not simply new technologies, new machines or something that you implement and then it works and uh, you get uh, an impact. There has to be also has to also be a social change. So there has to be something in in people's behavior or people's attitude or mindset that needs to change with it in order for it to to work, to have the desired uh, effect. People need to use technology in order for it to, to have an effect. You can also consider that multiple value creation, right? You can cons consider that in the sense that a new technology might be creating some environmental value or ecological value, but if it also creates people's understanding of the problem, that they are solving by using this new technology or the people's willingness to invest in changing their behavior to work towards the energy transition, that's also social value. So helping people be part of uh, a change, be part of the energy transition, that's also democratizing it. So in that sense, I would also say that is a social value in itself. Uh, and in the Grid Edge project, we also look at this idea of multiple value creation by saying, okay, on the one hand, you have the implementation of these new technologies, but on the other hand, you also have the people involved in, in doing this. And on the one hand, uh, uh, this, this, this renewed or understanding, this feeling of empowerment that I was talking earlier about, this feeling of self-efficacy, of, of being part of the change, that is... Uh, a social value creation. So I would say that community energy initiatives are actually good examples of, of the type of organizations that are really trying to create both social value and environmental value uh, simultaneously. Uh, one final word about this, Ben? Um, yeah, may, maybe to, to add to this, um, and the, the, the huge question when it comes to any type of social change is always where to start. And I think there's not the the place, like the one place to start. Um, you would probably look in vain for the single place to start. So it's always a kind of dynamic. But maybe we can consider that the whole uh, like social entrepreneurs and and community initiatives and, and and as we've said before, there's so many of them. So I, I would see this as they've really done a start, even though it is so difficult, even though the the framework conditions are in a lot of ways very adverse to these types of organizing, they exist in, in very large numbers. So I would say that this is a dynamic that has started and that is continuing to, to, um, to, to grow. And on the other side, we need, and this would be the other side of the dynamic, we need responses, so to speak, from the from policy side. So I would say, and I'm not saying, I'm not pointing out a particular level of, of policy making, but I would definitely say that it, it is now very much time for policy to respond by creating framework conditions that can use this dynamic that is already there, that's already happening and channel it and put it on a larger footing and really appreciate what is going on in these in these multitudes of different 
um, initiatives. So I think there's really a lot to be done in terms of the framework conditions that need to be created to to um, to put this on a larger footing. I think uh, that is an excellent way to, to finish up. Um, we've been talking about this this um, this question of how transformation would be possible. Uh, what we've seen at the very least is that um, there is a lot of innovation and transformation happening at these uh, small local skills. Talked a little bit about the value of, of those initiatives and basically uh, what we need in a sense for this transformation to be possible is kind of a learning uh, disposition um, by uh, especially policymakers and, and civil servants. And that means, in part, is to, to recognize the value of these initiatives that are maybe not uh, things that they, as we've seen in, in the case of um, the, the charging station, but this is definitely could be repeated over and over again in other cases. Often there there is this dismissive attitude because, um, yeah, it's more, for example, it's more difficult to kind of figure out how to work with all these small scale initiatives rather than working with big partners. They can do things at quote unquote scale, but th yeah, there is also the the bigger question of how we do um, sustainability uh, economically and otherwise. Um, and as Ben just said, uh, these initiatives are have made a start, and now we kind of need to engage with them and uh, figure out how to adapt the system to accommodate these kinds of ways of doing uh, more than that they have been now. Uh, unfortunately, the the, it exceeds the time of this podcast to also go into how, for instance, government or civil citizens could learn from these initiatives. Uh, so we'll have to keep that for another time. Uh, for now, I would like to uh, thank you both, Emma and Ben, uh, for being here. Um, Emma, you can uh, follow her work um, at least through the project um, Social Responsibility at the Gridge Edge. Um, Social entrepreneurship at the Great Edge. Yeah, very good. Um, and Ben uh, recently published a book based on his PhD. Uh, ben, would you remind us the title of the book? Um, the book is called Making Transformative Geographies, Lessons from Stuttgart's Community Economy. So this is about the, the, the examples that I mentioned. And if you want to read up on them, uh, feel free to, to do so. And if you cannot find the, the book online, you can just drop me an email. Awesome. Uh, I'll put links to them, at least uh, to both of these uh, projects in uh, the newsletter. Do check them out. Uh, for now, thanks for uh, listening to us. And thanks again, Emma and Ben. Thank you, Martin, for having us. Thank you, Martin.